Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Starting with Scripture podcast. I'm your host, Ron. This podcast episode is entitled Repentance. It's actually a full-length sermon, so just sit back and listen. Hello, church. How y'all doing? I go by Ron or Ronnie. If I hear Ronald and followed by my middle name, I know I'm in trouble. When I was younger, I played team sports. I played football, I played basketball, and I played baseball. In all these sports, the coaches taught us fundamentals, or sometimes they're called basics. Each sport was different, of course, and each one had its own fundamentals. In baseball, it was fielding and hitting. In basketball, it was dribbling and shooting. And in football, it was blocking and tackling. In a way, Christianity is like these team sports because it has its own fundamentals or basics. One of the basics or fundamentals of the Christian faith is repentance. We use the word repentance in church, but what does it mean? It's not a word that we use much in common American English or common uh, American parlance. Our British cousins, however, use the word repent and repentance and common parlance or common speech much more than we Americans do. When a Brit says or hears the word repent or the word repentance in common conversation, he or she is much more likely to know what it means. Most of us Americans don't have a sense of what it means unless we happen to learn about it in a church setting. If you're not a Christian or you're new to church, you might not know it or understand it. And this lesson is for you. On the other hand, if you already know what the word means, then this lesson will still be for you because it will reserve as a reminder. It is just as important for seasoned Christians to practice repentance as it is for new Christians to learn it and practice it. It is similar to experienced players of team sports because they still practice the basics of the sports even though they've been at it for years and they've moved on to other things. It is important for us to know what the word repentance means because it is used so often in Scripture. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, various forms of the word repent are used a total of 120 times. The word repent and repentance are extremely important because they're often associated in the Scripture with forgiveness or salvation. I want to read a few selected scriptures from Acts that associate repentance with forgiveness. Acts 2.38 reads, 
Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 3.19 reads, Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Acts 8.22 reads, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. I just want to make a, a point there. That last one is actually about inner behavior, the intention of the heart, uh, what's going on with the person psychologically. So it's not just what you do on the outside that sometimes needs repentance. Sometimes it's what's going on inside of you that also needs repentance. The word repent and the related word repentance are obviously important, and we should know their meanings. Without getting too deeply into the Hebrew or the Greek definitions, repent and repentance refer to the idea of changing one's mind and going in a different direction. The definition of the Greek word that is most often used for the English verb repent carries with it the gaining of new knowledge, regret for the previous course of action, displeasure with oneself, and a change of action in addition to changing one's mind. So it's a word that's, uh, that's very rich in meaning at least in the Greek. To help illustrate the meaning of repentance, I will use a long-standing American sports rivalry from the state of North Carolina. I first learned to talk in coastal North Carolina and was raised to be a Tar Heels fan. Even after we moved to the Midwest in my youth, my father and I remained Tar Heels fans. One could often hear the shout of, Tar Heels, baby, coming from the living room in our household during the games. That would be the televised games. As many of you might know, the UNC Chapel Hill Tar Heels have an intense rivalry with the Duke University Blue Devils. Now, I do want you to take note that the name of the Duke team is actually the Blue Devils. That ought to tell you something. I'm going to tell you the sordid tale of how a woman raised to be a Tar Heels fan went astray. Once upon a time, there was a woman from Leland, North Carolina. Now, if you don't know, that's, uh, that's coastal Carolina. That's part of Brunswick County, North Carolina, the southernmost county in the state of North Carolina. She was raised the right way to be a Tar Heels fan. She even did the morally right thing and married a Tar Heels fan. She faithfully watched the games with her husband and raised her children to be Tar Heels fans. She was very devoted 
to the UNC Tar Heels. That's University of North Carolina Tar Heels. She went astray, though. And it all started when she bought a Duke sweatshirt. Late one autumn, she saw a Duke sweatshirt on the clearance rack. And that's understandable. Uh, that's where cheap pieces of merchandise go. She liked the color and could hardly help herself. If she had stopped with just buying that Duke sweatshirt, she probably would have been okay. She didn't stop with the sweatshirt, though. The regular sweatshirt wasn't enough for her. She bought a hooded sweatshirt next, sometimes known as a hoodie. It wasn't too long after that that she was sending up a storm. Next, she had to have the jersey. She bought the sweatpants to match the sweatshirts. That's both the hooded one and the regular one. Then she bought the autumn jacket. She bought the winter coat. She bought the shoes. She bought the socks. If there had been Duke underwear for sale, she would have bought some of that too. One day, she went crazy and spent the entire grocery budget on season tickets so she could go see all the games at Chapel Hill. After that, marital discord started between her and her husband. She and her husband started arguing over which one of them should control the widescreen TV during games. If a uh, Duke game was on at the same time as a Tar Heels game, there was even a bigger conflict. And you didn't even want to be in the same neighborhood when Duke played the Tar Heels and they started arguing. We'll be back in a moment. We will now listen to the second half of the sermon. After several months of this foolish behavior, her mother finally talked some sense into her. She did indeed realize the error of her ways. She felt remorse about having been a Duke Blue Devils fan and she repented. The story ended happily when she burned all her Duke Blue Devils sportswear and sports paraphernalia in a trash barrel and fully committed again to being a Tar Heels fan. This story illustrates what repentance is like. Now, being a Duke fan isn't really a sin, nor is being a Tar Heels fan the way to redemption and salvation. But the story teaches us what it's like to fall into sin as well, doesn't it? In the story, the woman started dabbling with sin before she went headlong into it. I want to apply the lessons of the story and the meaning of the Greek to a couple of the verses I read earlier. I will start with Acts 2, verse 38. Before I read Acts 2 and 38, let me first give some context for it. Earlier in uh, 
the book of Acts chapter 2, Peter had been preaching to a crowd of Jews that were gathered there for Pentecost. Now these these Jews were from all over the Roman Empire. Literally, they were from all over the known world. So they were very devout people, uh, very devout in their Jewish faith. And they were in town in Jerusalem to gather for the Pentecost celebration, Pentecost feast. So in the process of preaching to them, Peter taught from Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Now these devout Jews would have known and understood and been very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. Many of them, after they heard Peter's preaching and teaching, were convicted of the truth of Peter's message. They said, Men and brethren, what must we do? Acts 2.38 reads, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.38, and this now this is applying the... Uh, the lesson uh, from the story and the, the definition of the Greek. In Acts 2.38, Peter was telling them to change their minds from what they had been and accept Jesus as Lord and Christ. Before, they, they didn't believe Jesus was Lord and Christ. And in fact, some of them were certain that he wasn't, and they assented to uh, his crucifixion. But he's saying, when he says, repent and be baptized, he's telling them, change your minds, accept Jesus as Lord and Christ, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is how people became Christians back then, and it's also how people become Christians now. There is no difference. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4 and verse 5, tells us that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. So we didn't have a baptism back then that uh, was linked to repentance and gave us forgiveness of sins or gave them forgiveness of sins and a different kind of baptism today. It's the same baptism. There aren't different kinds of baptism. Ephesians says, Ephesians 4, 5 says, there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Our baptism today is for the forgiveness of sins just the same as the baptism back in Acts 2.38 was for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I know a lot of you uh, here today, a lot of you all have been baptized. So that sort of begs the question, well, if I've already been baptized, what about repentance for the people that have already been baptized or who have already repented and been baptized? Acts 3.19 is a good example of a verse for those of us that are already Christians. Acts 3.19 reads, Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Acts 3.19 is easy to read, but how easy is it to do? In some congregations in the Lord's Church today, I'm sorry to say that repentance has become something of a lost art. 
It just isn't practiced too much. It's not taught, it's not practiced, it's not emphasized. What about the practice of repentance here in this congregation? Let's think about that and let's be honest with ourselves. The Apostle Paul warns us about sinful behavior in some of his letters. I will start out by reading 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 10. And it reads, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul wrote a very similar idea in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. It reads, starting in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Paul further wrote, I am warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes we Christians, uh, we play the game of, well, it's not a specific sin on the list. I mean, the Bible doesn't specifically teach about that, or what I'm doing isn't exactly like that. This passage ought to take care of that thinking. It says in verse 21, and things like these. So your sin habit doesn't have to be on the list exactly. Paul took care of that when he wrote, and things like these. Ephesians 5 verses 3 to 8 has a similar message. That's another letter or epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote. And it reads, but fornication and impurity of any kind, or greed, must not even be mentioned among you, as is proper among saints. Entirely out of place is obscene, silly, and vulgar talk, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure person or one who is greedy, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Continuing in verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be associated with them, for once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light. Another strong admonition uh, same vein, very similar to the other two passages I read. Of course, it's the same author, and he's expressing very similar ideas to uh, 
uh, to different congregations, different folks in uh, in the New Testament era, and then these letters were circulated to uh, all the all the churches. So um, over and over again, we see these themes, uh, lists of what sin is like, and an admonition to not do those things on the lists, and then uh, further the the notion that. We won't have any inheritance in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ and of God. It's very plainly written. Now, I hope that you found my earlier Tar Heels illustration humorous. Sin, on the other hand, is very serious business. If anyone here in this congregation is engaged in one of the sins from one of the Apostle Paul's lists, he or she needs to repent. When one continues in one of the sins that Paul lists, loss of inheritance and the kingdom of God is risked. In a couple of minutes, I'll lead us in the invitation song, I Am Resolved. Before we stand and sing, however, I want to say a few things. There is a life after this physical life. There is a judgment day coming. We will all either join the Lord in our reward or go to hell. Those are really the only two possible outcomes. By the grace of God through Christ, we can choose a life of repentance and go to eternal glory and be with him forever and ever. We can also choose to ignore God's word and go to eternal torment in hell and be apart from him forever and ever. If you are here today and have not named the name of Christ and been buried with him in baptism, you can come forward at this time and do so. If you are a Christian and are struggling with sin, you can also come forward at this time. If you have some other need and need the prayers of the congregation, the Lord's invitation is also for you. Please come forward while together we stand and sing.